1: plan savings with three lines of t-mobile essentials versus comparable available plans plan features and taxes and fees may vary
0: hi and welcome to off the menu i'm lisa endicott president of endicott pr on today's show i'll be speaking with shannon Wynn, one of the legendary restaurateurs in dallas and fort worth join me as we learn more about shannon and his history Well, today I'm really excited. We're speaking to prolific and iconic restaurateur, Shannon Wynn, and he is the name behind several restaurants that you know and love, Rodeo Goat, Flying Fish, Flying Saucer, Draft Emporium, Meddlesome Moth in the Design District, and Miriam's Cocina Latina, which is, I love, I love Chef Miriam, Um, but good morning, Shannon. Thanks for joining us.
1: Well, thank you for having me.
0: Well, for those who may or may not know you, they know your restaurants, um, but they may not know your early life and sort of your your roots. Can you tell us a little bit about what growing up in Texas was like for you?
1: Well, Texas per se, I didn't know any difference, so it was not a big deal, but um, I grew up about a mile from where I live right now. I've never lived anywhere else for any length of time. Um, you know, I grew up as the fourth child of, uh, parents who were living a pretty, um, interesting lifestyle. They were kind of like F Scott and Zelda on the bad side and, and Walt Disney on the good side. Um, and as a result, uh, you know, I was, I was born into a really dynamic family through No Choice of My Own that was very uh, active. Uh, my grandfather uh, was a lead attorney in, in the state, founded the Texas Bar Association, um, founded a big law firm here uh, in Dallas, Gardier Wynn, it became Gardier Wynn, it was Wynn Jaffe Tinsley. My uncle, my father's brother, uh, founded the Dallas Cowboys, um, and my daddy, you know, founded Six Flags after he had built Winwood and down in Oak Cliff. And so, you, to me, I thought that as a kid, just was the way it was. You know, um, I grew up going to St. Mark's and then um, gravitated over to Highland Park because they had girls. <laughs> um, I didn't, I was too shy a kid to take advantage of all that, all the trappings that I was involved, you know, I was surrounded with. I, I, I didn't think it was peculiar. I didn't think it was special. Uh, you know, as a kid, you just, you just go with the flow. So I didn't take advantage. Looking back, I wish I'd taken advantage to my Six Flags connection more than I had, but I didn't know how. You know, by the time I came along, everybody just, you know, the family taught me. My my parents didn't teach me anything how to serve, how to utilize all these gifts. So, um, you know, um, that in time changed. Um, That affluence um, became less as I grew older. Um, I grew up in an alcoholic family. Um, my father died young, um, at age 65 with stroke and heart attack. My mother died young at age 69, same thing. Um, my brothers and sister and I were pretty much on our own and, uh, I didn't have any money. Everybody thinks that, you know, you're a win. You have lots of money. Well, they didn't leave me any of it. Um, but You know, I say that my grandfather and grandmother were very, were were very, my my grandfather was called the king of the boomtown lawyers. And he was, he traveled from town to town um, doing legal work in exchange for little pieces of oil deals. So I did get a little cash flow when they passed away that kind of kept me afloat during my years when I was trying to decide what it is I wanted to do. I went to Trinity University and graduated with a degree in biology. Uh, The most I ever used, I was going to be a veterinarian. And the only time I ever used that training was when I saved baby birds in the backyard. You know, uh, women were allowed to all of a sudden go to vet school at Texas A&M. So my hopes were dashed. So I started, you know, I took a lot of, um, Um, film classes and started writing screenplays and making short films and um, really wanted to do that. And I finished my first screenplay and I showed it to my big brother who I thought, one of my big brothers who I thought was um, a good sounding board. And he told me that I needed to find another profession in so many words. And right there was a big turning point in my life because I, I shouldn't have listened to him. I should have just kept going. Um, I, I secretly direct almost everything I watch, um, in film or television. So I I probably could have had a a good life there, but while trying to decide what I was going to do, my favorite bar in Dallas burned down the Stony Peak and I didn't have any place else to go. And if genetically anything were passed, was passed to my, to me from my parents, um, I, I realized that I had a good eye for design and uh, I traveled enough through Europe um, with a backpack after I graduated from college and I discovered a a building in Paris called the Pompidou and it was um, it was using it was utilizing um, you know um, factory pieces of uh, everything was exposed, all the air plenums were exposed, all the pipes were exposed, nothing was covered. I was very industrial and I, I decided that I was going to build a place and, and make it industrial on the inside. And, um, so I opened the 80 in 1980 and, um, I didn't know how to open a cash register. And to this day, never have. Wow. <laughs> Don't know how to open a cash register. I had no idea what a frilater was. Uh, had to depend on others to tell me if we were making any money. Um, you know, and I was, I was off. So, uh, you know, Dallas was a, compared to today, was a, sleepy little place, the levels of cafe society were very minimal. There may be two or three layers. Now there are over a hundred layers of cafe society. There are different different, um, strains of interest and influence going all through the community. Back then, you know, it was kind of like shooting fish in a barrel. And so I opened this place the 80 and it took off and then I went out, hey, I can do this. Are we making any money? Yeah, we're making some money. Um, so I opened, uh, Nostromo next and, um, it took off like lightning and it was a higher end white tablecloth restaurant over on Travis street. They just tore the building down. It was the old, um, oriental rug place, Persian carpet cleaning. And, uh, Thursday nights at Nostromo were through the roof.
0: Legendary.
1: Man. (laughs) Um, And then uh, I decided that we didn't have a good nightclub in the city that showed progressive music. And so I rented a building over on Greenville Avenue, which was gigantic, 16,000 feet, and I built Tango. And I was pretty much bulletproof, I thought, you know, I didn't, I didn't need to know how the economics worked. I just design them and build them and come up with the design and somebody else would do all that. Well, eventually that thinking caught up with me. After I opened uh, Tango, I opened the Rio Room, which was behind Nostromo, 2,000 square foot members only nightclub. Uh... Ross Perot Jr. was a member. I mean, all these people that that have, would eventually become somebody in the city were like joining this little tiny nightclub dance place. And I remember both Nostromo and the real room, you had to wear a jacket to get in. I did that because my father, when he would take us to the 21 Club in New York, you had men had to wear a jacket. So I thought, I'll show them. And so I made them everybody wear a jacket. And we had jackets there for people to, to wear that didn't want to wear a jacket. I'll never forget, the Rolling Stones were playing in Dallas, 1981. Secret Service had showed up to case the place. And so we knew that Mick and the boys were gonna be coming to Nostromo after the concert. And everybody, out, word got out that the Stones were gonna be at Nostromo because of who had already come, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Led Zeppelin had already come, so we knew the Stones were going to be there. Everybody got in, and it was tiny. I mean, the Strong was 3,500 square feet. That's as big as a flying fish is right now. Uh, everybody showed up, took their seats, and didn't leave. Didn't order either. Just sat there. <laughs> but the Secret Service you know, showed up, guys with little ear things over their ears. Came in. Uh, so, when's Mick coming in? They wouldn't talk to us. All of a sudden, the back door opens. and walks this little bitty man about that high. And he was Asian. He was the ambassador to the Philippines. That's who was showing up. Oh. No Rolling Stones. Oh. <sighs> So, you know, after that, I didn't really care who came. I had promised myself I was never going to, you know, start the gossip that ends in disaster. Um, but that's the kind of thing that back then in Dallas was, um, you know, when John Entwistle take, took the stage, when we had a band play, play at, at Nostromo, the old Chicken Hawks, um, It was, it was just, it was like nothing that anybody had ever seen before. Anyway, um, I then opened a restaurant called Mexico. Oh, Rocco Oyster Bar came next. Um, and then Mexico. And then the great savings and loan debacle of Texas happened. I remember where all the banks who were lending money too freely were forced to close down by state regulators, federal regulators. And all of a sudden, my bank said, hey, you've got these notes out there. You got to pay up. I went, I don't have that money. Back then, you could just sign a piece of paper and go about your merry way. Well, it was unsecured. Well, I didn't have the money. And we were paying our, our um, payments, but they didn't care. They wanted their money. So one by one we closed them down, and I pretty much disappeared. I went to uh, San Francisco and opened a restaurant for Boskags called the Blue Light Cafe. Kind of relaxed. About that time, the woman that would be my first wife uh, got pregnant, or we got pregnant, and I uh, found out I was going to be a father. Came back to Dallas. Opened the Fast and Cool Club on Greenville Avenue. It took off. Then we opened the one in Houston. It took off. And so I was kind of back in the chips. Then I realized, you know, something's got to give. I was drinking too much. There were too many free drugs roaming around. So in 1988, I gave up booze. That was the end of the first half of my restaurant life. It was only 10 years, but it was what I call the half, because I created a lot of restaurants in a short period of time. I then got sober and everything changed. I started learning about how a L works. I learned how balance sheet worked. I understood what it was like. Um and I kind of created a instrument that I've used to this day on how to raise money and how to um distribute money to investors. And I built it because I didn't understand what I was doing and I wanted to, everything to be built on a cash basis. I didn't ever want to borrow money again after what happened with the text, with the savings and loan debacle. I swore I would never walk into a bank again and borrow any money. So, I, um, I, you know, started the 80 number two, which was in the quadrangle as well. The first 80 was in the quadrangle, and then the second was in the quadrangle as well. And but I did it sober, so I opened up the um, 80 with murals on the walls, and art um, local artists had painted, and it just blew the roof off. And um, Pretty much after that, I just followed my nose and opened up eight O's where I I thought they would work, opened one in Houston, um, opened one in Fort Worth. Um, And then in 1995, Ed Bass said, hey, would you mind doing something with this building we have over here? It's too pretty a building to not use. And so I opened up the first flying saucer. In 1995.
0: Um, and I'm looking out on it this morning. It's pretty, pretty are cool. Are you in Denver? Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, as you know, it soon, you know, 20 years later became the Bird Cafe, but the Flying Saucer was the first in a string of 16 that we would eventually build uh, throughout Texas, Arkansas, uh tennessee north carolina south carolina missouri and, and kansas and um people say why well, did you build them there and i said because that's where the highway went that's where that's where southwest airlines flew to i mean it was easy <laughs> well how did you know you wanted to build one there because nobody had any beer and we knew that we could go into a town and bring in good beers that nobody had ever seen before Anyway, so that's kind of brings us up to eight years ago when I opened the first rodeo goat in Fort Worth, 10 years ago maybe. First rodeo goat in Fort Worth, over off of West Seventh. We now have um, soon to be eight rodeo goats opening seven and eight in the next month. Um, and looking at other locations now to do. Uh, in the meantime, opened up uh, Meddlesome Moth about 11 years ago down in the design district. Uh, when as soon as they allowed us to get off of the tollway at Oak Lawn, and uh, then opened Miriam's piscina uh, Latina um, across from Sidewalk Park. So, probably not doing any innovative new concepts, but rolling out what, what we've got already that works.
0: Well, I think they all really work. And they each each are great. And I I frequent many of them. I love the fact that we've learned about what you've done as far as your financial, like creating best practices. I think that's fantastic. Um, Can you talk a little bit about your design, like how you design, like a little bit about your process? Because I know I've run into you in the design district and I never know, I always wanna ask you, you know, what are you doing? What are you getting ready to concept? But you've always had this flair and mystique, what a cool guy and growing up going to Hockaday and then being a reporter, going to 8.0. So many of the, the sports reporters hang out. I feel like that was kind of my entry point, but your design is always so cool. And Dale I think-
1: Hansen, Dale Hansen would, would, would come in have three drinks, leave, go do the sports, come back and have three more. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. You'd walk Um, in. You know, used to, I would go to New York or Paris to see what was happening because I would get ideas and I would go up and kind of study what people were doing and thought, wondered whether, you know, get inspired because Dallas was so you know it was it was a it was a a quiet little conservative community that really didn't take many chances now you have people coming in from all over the world to to create design so i would go other places and look to get inspiration now because i'm older i have you know six kids three grandkids. I just, I don't want to travel. You know, I don't, I don't want to go. I I will go on occasion to look at what other people are doing, but I found that it's serves me best to use my own instinct. So I, over the course of the last 40 years, I've developed an eye for what I think is, um, honest, um, not designed for design's sake. You know, I I really don't like walking into fake taverns that have been made to look like some posh Chicago tavern where nothing in it is authentic. Most everything I do design-wise, if you walk into Meddlesome Moth, everything in there pertains to Dallas. Whether it's Jane Mansfield or the Green Men or the Texas Kid or the stained glass windows, everything there has a Dallas has Dallas roots and was carefully um, commissioned to, to go on the walls. But, you know, I walk into places, I'm not going to mention any names, which have got these fabricated interiors that have absolutely no relevance to either their community or, eat, you know, there is, no, there is no thought put behind what goes on the walls or what goes into the food. You know it's just like it is boring um so i try to stay away from that and 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 try to keep things fun and honest and um you know uh, have relevance um you know pretty much that if, if if it's trendy i i don't do it i mean i've never put a mac and cheese on any menu I've ever done. You know, I never never had sliders. I never had any of the cutesy little things. I've never added lobster to a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. You know, it just... <laughs> so that, that's kind of our um, my credo on the design. Um, you know, I'm amazed that people think that a flying fish has got design elements. It, it does. But, you know, I like I like for the community to participate. That's the reason we have the Billy Bass Adoption Center where people can bring their Billy Bass in or the photographs. I think it's always important to allow people to have their ego in a space because they can participate. They can bring their picture in. They can point at their picture. That's my grand son, that's my son, that's me, and see their picture on the wall uh, and, and, and offer them, you know, good food at a reasonable price.
0: And I like that you've got the, uh, the, the Brad Sham burger at Rodeo
1: Goat. Well, just so happened I was sitting next to Brad at a dinner, at a fundraiser for Jimmy Carter or something, and we were sitting at the table and he introduces himself to me and I went, oh, you're Brad Sham. That I we and we had the best time talking. And he gave me his card and we were getting ready to open up the the first rodeo goat. And I said, Hey, can I name a burger after you? You're like ubiquitous on Sunday afternoon listening to you drive when I'm driving back from the lake, listen to the cowboy game. Can I name a hamburger after you? He went, I'd be honored. <laughs> and so um you know, I think I asked him what he wanted on it. He said, oh, it doesn't make any difference to anything you want. And um, so I designed the burger and we opened with it. And, and uh, somebody called me up frantically. I think it was Nancy Nichols said, You've got, you can't have a Brad burger with bacon on it. He's Jewish. <laughs> and I said, oh my God, okay, well, let me call Brad. And I called him. He said, oh, hell, I eat bacon. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, so yeah, we have some some zingers coming up in the opening of the new rodeo Go that I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell anybody about yet. But I'm I've named another burger after a friend of mine that's a writer. Um, that's gonna be a fun burger.
0: Fun. I might know who that is, but I, I won't guess. I'll, I'll, i I want to be surprised.
1: <laughs> well, like, like uh, the old Whitney in Fort Worth is named after Whitney Hyder's son's band. You know, Whitney Heider is an old friend of mine from Fort Worth, uh, so we named it the O-Whitney. The White Animal uh, Burger in Dallas is named after my old best friend growing up, Kevin Gray's band, The White Animals. So, I mean, there are lots of little stories in there. And I also try to weave stories in each rodeo goat about how rodeo goat got its name. So on every menu, there's a different story that features the how how the how the restaurant they're all lies of course but
0: (laughs) it's your your own tall tales (laughs) yeah cool well I, I can't believe we're at the 25th anniversary mark of restaurant week and you know do you have any thoughts on kind of where we're going in Dallas versus Fort Worth any musings I know you have more things coming through the through the pike but um you know for for those people that have been here a long time or those people that are just migrating here um you know any thoughts on on where we are and where we're going
1: well people like to tell me there's no difference between Dallas and Fort Worth but there's a huge difference between Dallas and Fort Worth the market is just a different market period When we opened the bird cafe, we opened with sweetbreads on the menu. And you don't know how many times we got it sent back going, we thought this was going to be cinnamon buds, you know? You know, so, you know, the shopping public has, and I I hate to, I'm not, uh, listen, my family, I've got family in Fort Worth. I've got a ton of friends in Fort Worth. Fort Worth has been nothing good to me, but but good to me. But the amount of people that over the course of the last 15 years that have moved to Fort Worth that have the experience of travel and the chance to have experienced lots of different foods is different than Dallas. They're more in Dallas. There just are. There's a higher sophisticated palate in Dallas uh, for the most part. Now, that's not to say that people in Fort Worth There are not a lot of people in Fort Worth that know what they're eating, because there are. Uh, But the opportunities there aren't as easy to establish. They're not as easy, it's not as easy to get a following in Fort Worth as as it is in Dallas for some of those reasons. And I don't think my friends in Fort Worth would disagree with that. I mean, it's it's a little more honest, it's a little more country, it's a little bit uh, less frenetic. Dallas, on the other hand, has changed populations probably 10 times in the last 20 years. I mean, the people here have rolled over and rolled over and rolled over, and now we're getting a huge influx of people from the West Coast and from other parts of the country uh, who are coming here for economic reasons. And so with them, they're bringing uh, their experiences. For instance, we opened a flying fish in Bentonville, Arkansas. Alice Walton flew me up there a couple of times and swore that this was a place for us to go. And the reason that I believed her is because of her commitment to culture, which she had at Crystal Bridges. But also, Walmart as a whole brought intelligentsia from all over the world to Bentonville, Arkansas, and they got it. You know, we could do something a little bit different, and it wasn't going to be spurned because they had a lot of sophisticated people that lived in this tiny little town and they they wanted something different. So it turned out to be a good market for us. Uh, uh, so, you know, in Dallas, man, there are people coming from Chicago now. There are people coming, I mean, and when I, they come with an investment, they're not coming to build a restaurant, they're coming to build five restaurants and they're high priced and they have unfortunately been robbing a lot of the locals like myself of their talent but that's okay it's a free enterprise system i gotta just come up with ways to keep my people where they are Uh, but it does have an impact on everybody that's been here that's been local for years and years and years uh trying to keep staff because if somebody's making $20 an hour and somebody comes from Chicago and offers them $25, it's hard to keep them there.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, it's been a big, a big issue and, and one that I know we'll continue to face through the coming months. Um, listen, I wanted to ask you, did you know Jim White, who recently passed, who founded Restaurant Week?
1: I did. I was on Jim's show many times. <clears throat> he was always very energetic. He was always very complimentary. He loved to uh, take a tour of the kitchen with a a film crew and uh, interview, and he did a lot to bolster people's interest in cooking and foodies and, you know, everything in the community. One thing that's really interesting is one of the things that has propagated our reputations throughout the country a lot is the fact that we're close to the market. And people come in to Mendelssohn Mall that are working market and they tell their friends and we have, it's just been an incredible thing, they, they come into the mo- The moth, they come into the goat, they come into the fish because they're all in the neighborhood. And you know, the market center has really done a lot to perpetuate our, our uh, reputation.